0: I need you guys to really know and discern. We really love you guys. Really love Salem Baptist Church. Uh, Folks, when we started our journey of God's perfect will for our lives, we started it right here. Right here. First time I ever spoke in a Christian school, they invited me here to your school for five days. And at those in those days, I only had two messages, so that one really had to spread out. But folks, you guys not, not only engage in our ministry, but folks, you are part of our life. I mean, our whole life, and a lot of my whole character and how our ministry was going to go forward. Believe me, I think the judgment seat of Christ will bear this out, that Salem Baptist Church had such a large part of that. And so this morning, I think what we would like to do instead of preaching that sermon five times that we did here in the Christian schools back in 1976, we'd like to take a few minutes and just kind of share with you our journey, you know, how God brought us to His perfect will for our lives, you know, uh, within the ministry of Word of Life Fellowship. And so uh, we're going to start with Sandy, and I told Sandy, Sandy probably should have been a preacher, but uh, she's really a good communicator. I just said, don't pound the pulpit, then they will think you're a preacher, you know. But she's just going to come here and just for a few minutes and just share how God started her out in her journey uh, with him.
1: I apologize. I know I'm a mess already, but I sat here and wept all through the musicians' practice before church started. And then when they began, I sat here and wept again. (laughs) And it just so touched my heart. And I think, if we could just get out what they said, what they sang, do you realize nine-tenths of the world doesn't know that? broke my heart. <laughs> but thank you, musicians. It was wonderful. I really, really got a blessing from that. And now I've got so many tears in my eyes I can't see, and I have to go by this or I will ramble for two hours. Um, are you familiar with the, uh, the story of Nathaniel in John chapter 1, verses 45 to 50? I don't know if you've ever, um, it's like you've lived something and then years later in looking back, you see, oh, that's what that was. Well see, I feel like I have lived this, but I didn't know it at the time because I didn't know these verses. But then years later, looking back, I thought, oh, that's my testimony right there. John one forty-five it says, let me get rid of these tears. Philip found Nathaniel. And said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. uh, And uh, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Oh, you will see greater things than these. I grew up on a farm in the Midwest where there's more corn and cows than there are people. And I loved to play underneath a big mulberry tree in our pasture field. And somehow, amongst all the (laughs) tall corn stalks, corn stalks that were taller than I, and the cows, God saw me under the mulberry tree. You see now why I relate to Nathaniel. When I was nine years old, I got invited to a um, um, evangelistic service, and there, for the very first time, I heard the gospel of Christ. And you can read the statistics. How many people get saved hearing the gospel just once? But that first time I heard it, the Holy Spirit pricked my heart. I knew I was a sinner, nine years old. I knew I needed a Savior. And I went forward that night, and the preacher went through the plan of salvation with me. And I accepted Christ as my Savior, and I've never doubted it ever since. And I went back home. I grew up in a Christian home, but my parents were of the old philosophy that your relationship to god was something very private and very personal and you didn't talk about it i found out years later that they read the bible but i didn't know they read the bible and if they prayed out loud it was at mealtime if the preacher came for lunch or something you know but i would just you know you think well this well why would my kids get that impression um, have you ever told your kids that you accepted christ as your savior Have you ever given them your testimony? Have you ever read the Bible out loud to them, with them? Do they hear you pray out loud for them? You might be surprised. They might be living under false impression there. So anyway, I went back home, and like I said, uh, my parents were Christians, but we didn't have devotions in the home or anything. We went to church all the time, but I'm sorry to say... um, the word was very seldom preached. And uh, so I thought I was saved. I thought that was the end of it. I didn't know there was anything more. It's like receiving a beautiful package, and you love the ribbon and the wrapping paper, and you don't realize there's a gift inside. There's more. Uh, And you say, well, why didn't you go to another church? Well, this was not the Bible Belt in the South. This was the Midwest. We could go to another church. It'd be a different building and different congregation. But guess what? The preacher was the same. There was only one preacher. He went around to every church in I don't know how many counties. So if he's not preaching anything at my church, he's still not preaching anything at their church. So that wouldn't have done any good. So I didn't grow. Nothing changed until I was 14. I got invited to a Christian camp. And you think, one week... At camp, and she's going to go back home, live in that same environment, and go to that same dead church. What difference is one week going to make? You guys want to know why that week of camp in Curacao means so much to me. One week changed the trajectory of my life forever, and it affected my whole family. Um, at that At that camp, the preacher Uh, preached from the Word of God, excuse me, every morning, every evening. The staff, I mean the people that led the music, the people that led the games, the counselors in the cabins, they read the Bible. I thought only the preacher could read the Bible and tell me what it said. But they read the Bible and they, they got it, they understood it. They didn't need somebody to tell them what the Bible was saying. And when they prayed, you could tell they were talking to somebody on a personal level. Somebody that they knew. It wasn't a stranger talking to some some force out there in the sky. I mean, I felt like I had been dropped into an alternate universe. I had never seen anything like it. And I absolutely loved it. I was painfully shy. but. So I just listened and watched and I realized that everybody that was working at the camp, they were all college mates and they were talking about going back to college and getting back on campus. And so this had to have been the Holy Spirit because I'm telling you, I was too shy to say anything. I asked them, where do you go to school? And they said, Tennessee Temple. So I went home. And I told my family, this was when I was 14. I graduated high school when I was 17 for three years. I don't think I said anything to my family, friends, <laughs> anybody, except I have to go there. I have to go there. Now, We lived, there was a big state university practically in our back door and all my family went there. And my family was like, if you graduate with a degree from this university, it opens doors, you've got something. If you graduate with a degree from some religious school in the mountains of Tennessee, what have you got? Nothing. And I did not know God has a will for your life, God has a purpose for your life. I didn't know any of this stuff. All I said for three years was, all I know is, to go there. So, all right, so they let me go. <laughs> so I went to Temple, and Temple was connected, you know, with Highland Park Baptist Church. And at the time that I went to Temple, there were 6,000 people in that congregation. My home church, when everybody was there, you know, your cow didn't fall in the pond, you had to stay home to pull it out. You didn't know have any sick kids. If everybody was there, 25. So when I got to Highland Park Baptist Church, I sat on the back row, and I just wept. And I wept. And I thought, must be everybody that knows is here. Everybody that knows is here. They don't know where I come from. They don't know. There's people out there that have never heard. They don't know. And I sat there and I wept. When I was at camp, knowing nothing, God called me to be a missionary. And you say, how do you know? Well, if you've accepted Christ as your savior, you know the wooing of the Holy Spirit, that drawing, and it's just like, yes, yes, I wanna be saved. Well, when the preacher preached and he talked about being a missionary, I said, yes, yes, I've got to be a missionary. God wants me to be a missionary. I went to temple. God reaffirmed that message in my heart. I've got to be a missionary. I remember telling one of my best friends one time after a service, I said, Nancy, I've got to be a missionary. I've got to be a missionary. And she's like, so be a missionary. You know, (laughs) it's like, so what are you getting all upset about? But anyway, God reaffirmed my call. Um, uh, David got saved there, got called to be a missionary there. Uh, I graduated. We got married. Uh, We went with Word of Life as missionaries, and we've been with them now for 44 years. We've been in 29 different countries. Remember Nathaniel back there? And God says, you believe because... I saw you under the mulberry tree, Sandy. You haven't seen anything. Twenty-nine countries around the world—countries I didn't even know existed. Curacao—who's ever heard of Curacao? Um, <clears throat> we've been missionaries now forty-four years. Sounds all very cut and dried and lovely, right? But um, something—I just—I have a burden to share this. Um, when your missionaries come here and they say, oh, we've gone to Bongo, Congo, and we've led 5,000 to the Lord. And I'm, I'm concerned about young mothers here. Because you see, what I didn't tell you was, uh, after we became missionaries, is we had five children. Do you know how restricting that can feel? I had my own personal COVID See, before I married, before I had children, um, I I did jail ministry. I did Bible clubs in the projects in the big city. I did ministry at the orphanage. I did, I did, I did, I did. Get married, have a house full of little ones. Boom. It's like a Mack truck hitting a brick wall. Where's your ministry now? I'm a missionary. How can I be a missionary? I can't go and do, go and do, go and do. Well, God had some lessons to teach me. One of them was, and we often say this verse and sort of chuckle, but I'm serious, and it came to pass. And it came to pass. These days with a house full of little ones where you think the diapers and the bottles and the runny noses and the no-no and the spanking and the, you feel like it will never end, I have news for you, it does. It does eventually end. There's seasons of life, and this it came to pass. Another verse is um, when you hear about um, 5,000 being saved in Bongo, Congo, and you think, Lord, I can't even get to Walmart to pick up groceries. You know, what good am I? I'm a total, total failure, just useless. Uh, let me remind you this. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? I want you to say it with me. What did Jesus say was the greatest thing you could ever do? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul, with all thy strength. You can do that when you're washing diapers. You can do that when you're making bottles. You can do that when you're mopping the floor the greatest thing. He, did, he could have said anything, couldn't he? He was God and he knew. He could have said, going to Bongo, Congo and winning 5,000 is the greatest thing, but he didn't. He said, loving God. And then you know what? If you love God with all your heart, it doesn't matter if you're loving him from the, the washing machine in your house in Winston, Or if you're loving him from Bongo, Congo, it's the same. You just love him. You just love him. And he will guide and direct you. Um, And then the last thing is, don't forget what the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.5. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I'm sure that's it's in you as well. Grandmother, mother, you have no idea who this little ankle biter is gonna grow up to be. You have no idea. If, if he were a grown man set before you and he had won, you know, Billy Graham, won five billion people to the Lord. If I had known when he was little You don't know, but that's the thing. You train him as if that's what he is going to be. You teach him and train him while he's in your home. And you talk about an important ministry. How much more important could that be? So if there's any young mothers here, I'm not gonna look at anybody, but if there are any young mothers here who you are so tired and you think you don't know, You come here and tell us about all this great work. And I just want to lie down on this pew and cry myself to sleep because I am so tired. Mama, get all the help you can. Get all the encouragement you can. But remember, it's just a season of life. This too shall pass, and you don't know who you're training in that home. God bless you.
0: I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior at Tennessee Temple, uh, an incredible experience. And right after I accepted Christ as my Savior, I really wanted to know, you know, all right, what's next? Uh, what is what is Your will for my life, God? What is it? And uh, I would talk to the professor that led me to Christ and I would talk to students and you know what have you and and one day a professor saw my frustration and he gave me this verse and it just always stuck with me it's always been with me Ephesians 5 15 through 17 therefore be careful Dave how you walk not as unwise but as wise Dave Kelly making the most out of your time because the days are evil so then do not be foolish but Kelly understand what the will of the Lord is. And from that point forward, I really wanted to know. And over the next three years, God led me to my beautiful wife, founder of my, our five children and great influencer of our ten grandkids. And it was just, it was there. I just knew this was the person that I was supposed to be married to, and so she, and, and, and during that time that, uh, that I was at Temple, the Lord gave us two children. And one night when I was going to work, I was listening to Moody Founders Week, and a guy named Harry Ballback, one of the directors of Word of Life Fellowship, was speaking And he was talking about how God moved in his life, and he told God this. He said, God, if you will show me your perfect will for my life, I will never, ever, ever turn back. And that just crawled all over me. I pulled off to the side, I just bowed my head, and I said to God, I said, God, if you will do that for me, if you will show me your perfect will for my life, I promise you, God, I will never, ever turn back. I promise and I was as real as I am then, now. And so, a year later, Harry Ballback came to Tennessee Temple uh, College and Holland Park Baptist Church for a missions conference. He was a keynote speaker. And his messages really moved me, but it was the last sermon of his last series of messages that really got a hold of me. And he he gave the invitation and he said, if there's anybody here, if there's anybody here that the Holy Spirit is moving on your life to to do full-time Christian service, he said, I want you to just, no music, nothing. I want you to get out of your pew and I want you to come down right now, right now. And I'll tell you something, it was the same feeling that I had while I was listening to him that I had when the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I remembered that voice. I remembered that feeling. It was the very, very same feeling that I had when I saw Sandra K. Chenoweth for the first time, and I knew in my heart whether she wanted to or not, she was going to be my wife, and I knew it. And it was the very, very same feeling that I had knowing that God was going to use me full-time, and before anybody sang anything, I was probably the first one out of 6,000 people in that auditorium of those that came forward and and just said, yes, Lord, whatever you wanted me to do, I would do it full-time for you. I will dedicate my life, and that was my senior year that year, and I had peace that I was going to do something full-time for God, but I didn't know what. And I got frustrated again. I just didn't know what I was supposed to do. Missionary, pastor, teacher, I didn't know what. Was I going to work with the deaf people? I just didn't know. So I got frustrated. Well, I found out that there was a Word of Life missionary speaking at a conference down in Atlanta. So I got my car and I drove down. His name was Lou Nichols. And I said, Lou, I said, you know, here I am. This is where I am. I'm frustrated. I don't know what to do. I'm a senior. I'm getting, you know, I'm getting ready to graduate. I've got a family. You know, I really want to serve the Lord, but I just don't know what to do. He said, well, Dave, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? I said, Lou, if I knew that, I wouldn't be here. I'm asking you what? No, he said, no, no, you're not hearing me, Dave. He said, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? What is it that gets you, would get you out of bed every morning without an alarm clock? What do you want to do? Well, when I heard that personal pronoun over and over and over again, literally for 20 minutes, I thought, man, I don't want to be a narcissist. I don't want to do my will. And it took him literally 20 minutes to convince me that it wasn't a sin to do what I wanted to do. He said, Dave, don't you realize what the psalmist said? You have given him his heart's desire and you have not withheld the request of his lips. Psalms 21, 2. Did you get saved? Yeah. Do you have a beautiful wife? Yeah. Good education? Yeah. Dave, he's given you the desires of your heart. It's built within you. He created you. He knows you, and you're not a biological accident. He knows exactly what. And he says, Dave, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. He said, Kelly, what is it that you really want to do? Don't be religious. What is it? And I told him, I said, all right, I'm going to tell you. I really want to engage a younger generation, and I want to do it through the local church. And he said, bingo. Bingo. He said, I promise you, God will lead you. You just need to have patience and trust Him. I graduated that May 1976. That July, uh, Sandy and I went to Word of Life Fellowship to their candidate school. It was an option. And so we decided to go up there just to see, you know, is this where God would have us to be? And so we went up there, and during the course of that week, I'm going to tell you something, folks. The Holy Spirit talked to us both, and we knew clearly word of life. And we got on our knees, and we asked God right there, God, protect us, guide us, provide for us, and use us for your glory alone. And the verse he gave us was 1 Peter 4.2 so as to the rest of the time in the flesh, Dave and Sandy, no longer for the lust of the flesh, but for the will of God for your life. And we did it. And we joined Word of Life from 1976 to 1994, right here in the Carolinas, we did Word of Life Bible clubs. We had over 30 churches right here in the Carolinas that was using our materials. We had hundreds and hundreds of young people that came to our basketball marathons, our Operation Nightmares, our Super Bowls, our softball marathons. In fact, folks, we've even used your gym for our basketball marathons and conferences. And in, during that time with Bible clubs, we, we were able to come alongside of and minister to countless leaders who wanted to know, how do I reach our young people right now and how do we disciple them? And it was during that time, for the life of me, I'm going to have to wait until I get to heaven to find out, God asked Sandy and I to be the directors of Word of Life Island for three incredible summers. Every summer, 3,000 plus young people got on that boat, and the only way you could get to the island was two ways, a boat or if you walked. And since we didn't have anybody that was deity, they all had to use the boats. 3,000. And to be able to see the expressions on those kids' faces when they came, and then to see a totally different one when they got on those boats to go back was just an awesome experience. But it was there that God really started to work on our hearts, and in 1994, we left Word of Life Bible Clubs, and we wanted to do something overseas. And at that point, they were starting Word of Life Youth Reach Out, and this was an organization that Word of Life developed to take young people overseas and engage them. And God called Sandy and I to be part of that team, and we did it, and it was incredible. We had the opportunity to take over 1,000 young people to 29 different countries, some of those countries more than once. In Asia, Europe, South America, the Caribbean, uh, Russia, I mean, we, we went everywhere. It's Africa. And it was incredible. But what was incredible was to see the faces of young people, novice guys and gals, guys and gals that wouldn't do it over here, so what makes you think they're going to do it over there? But when they got over there, they found out that God could use them over there so that they could come back and do it over here. And to see them for the first time, to actually sense and feel that God is using me. That is, Those are faces that will never, ever be wiped out of our memories. It was just incredible to see that. And then, around 2010, Word of Life approached Sandy and I and asked us if we would consider doing something. They wanted to open up the Caribbean region, but they wanted to do it non-traditionally. Seventy-some-odd islands down there. You know, how do we get those islands open and put a missionary there? And we just found out that it would be pretty difficult to do that over the course of some time. And so we, Sandy and I, sat down, and for about a year, the Lord gave us a program. It's called the Caribbean Short Term Missions Program. And I just want to share a little bit about it with you. But before I do, I want you to just hear from Jack Wurtson. This is what he instilled in all of us to make us go and really want to do our ministry. Look at the faces. Look at the faces. I believe that every generation has a responsibility to tell their generation about the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son. Every one of those faces are students from the Word of Life Bible Institute at some time. Every one of them came to the Bible Institute with baggage. And if you would have noticed the faces, there's only one power that can put that smile on a face. And that is Jesus Christ. Amen. And to be able to see that in the lives and hearts and minds of people all over the world. Folks, I'm looking for the reverse the agent pill. I want to do this for another 90 years if I can. But the purpose of the Caribbean Short-Term Missions Program is to establish Word of Life Ministries on Caribbean islands. And we want to do this with the prospect of putting full-time missionaries in each targeted islands. And so Sandy and I took all of our experience with Word of Life Bible Clubs, with going overseas, working in different cultures, speaking at Bible institutes, uh, doing camping, all of this stuff. We took all of that and we created this ministry so that we could create those ministries in the Caribbean. And 29 countries, folks, listen, you go to the Caribbean, you're going to find Every entity of every country around the world, right there in the Caribbean. And so we were all ready for every one of those cultures when we went down there. In 2010, we started with one country, and that was the Bahamas and Nassau. Right now, 2020, we're in nine countries. We have four churches in Nassau, we're in the Caymans, we're in Jamaica. We are in Anguilla and St. Martin's, we're in St. Thomas, we're in St. Lucia, we are starting in Barbados, and we're in Trinidad and Tobago, and four churches in Curaçao. And right now, we are building Bible clubs, we have built camps, we're building camps, We're encouraging students right now, just corresponding with a couple of students right now that are leaving Curaçao and they want to go to a Bible college, we're doing that in all of them. And then every fall, winter, and spring, we have lay people and teachers that's going down to every one of these countries four times in the year, I mean three times a year, fall, winter, and spring, to do training. Everything that we did with Word Light Bible Clubs right here in the Crown is we're doing it right here. And we're doing it all with lay people. Sandy and I are the only full-time, and it is awesome what God is doing. Our director says, and I close with this, we need to find out where God is working, and we need to get on board. Amen? And that's what we want to do for the rest of our lives, and thank you, Salem. You make it so easy for us to do this. You do, and you make us want to do it. Father, help us. We love you be with us, and we'll give you the glory for all that is said and done. And all God's people said,
1: Amen.